So people aren't reading the Bible. They aren't. People aren't reading the Bible. Any statistic you want to look at, any, any metric you want to use, uh, the case is pretty clear. Fewer and fewer, less and less people are actually opening up the scriptures and reading them. And, and they give lots of reasons for it. I mean, life is busy. Also, the Bible can seem kind of intimidating or confusing. You open it up, you get lost, you don't know where to begin. I get it. I get all of it. I think probably the biggest thing working against us when it comes to actually opening up the scriptures and learning them in our day and age, however, and this is true for me, and I'm a pastor, are all the distractions. We live in an incredibly distracting age. I mean, why read the Bible when you can watch the latest bingeable show on Netflix or just scroll for hours on TikTok looking at dogs that can talk? Did you know that dogs can talk? If you're on TikTok, you already knew. And you can scroll through it on your For You page for like two, three hours at a shot. Don't ask me how I know. There are a lot of distractions. I think that's the primary reason why we're just not reading the scriptures. We're not reading the scriptures despite the fact that 90% of homes in the United States have a Bible inside of them. 90%. Of those 90% of homes that have a Bible inside of them, 29% of those people say they've never opened it. Almost 30%. Never opened it, never read it, never even tried. And you'd think the statistics would be even better among people who like go to church on a regular basis, but not much. 20% of people who go to church on a regular basis say though they have a Bible, they've never opened it, never read it. One in five people who go to church are like, eh, no. It's no wonder that 50% of high schoolers, when polled, think that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. It's true. 60% of Americans can't name five of the Ten Commandments. Five. And they're not hard, guys. They're like mostly really obvious things like don't kill, don't lie, don't steal. That's three right there. We're not reading the scriptures. And yet, a hunger for spirituality is on the rise in our world. More people than in recent memory are, are wanting to connect with the divine. They're wondering about some power that, that's greater than them, above them. And there's a lot of searching, a lot of wondering whether or not there's something out there that they can connect to, that they can relate to, that can give some meaning and purpose to their existence. So our understanding and our desire to read the scriptures is low, but collectively our desire to connect to the divine is high. And what I want to offer to you today is that if that's where you are, if you are hungering for something spiritual and meaningful, the answer to that hunger is actually the thing that so many of us are avoiding. Today, what I want to talk about is how you can connect with the divine by hearing and reading and studying God's word. I have a handful of things I want to share with you toward that end. And the first is very simple. It might even sound condescending. I don't mean it that way, but it starts here. Read the Bible. You, like you actually have to like take it off the shelf and open it or download an app on your phone and scroll through it. You, you actually have to read it. There are promises within the scriptures that say when you are actually willing to, to sit with the scriptures or listen to the scriptures, that, that things happen in your life when you're willing to do that. 
And in fact, I have a scripture that I'd like for us to read together. It comes from the Psalm, Psalm 119, verse 130 says this. If you'd, if you'd humor me and read these words together out loud. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. When you actually open the word, stuff happens. So what I want to say to you is if you don't have a Bible that you feel like you can read and understand, that's step one. Get one that makes sense to you. Perhaps it's full of notes and helps and maps and charts and all those different things that can make it come alive to you. There's podcasts full of great preaching that can proclaim the word to you. There are apps on your phone that will give you a daily devotion, a minute-by-minute devotion if you want them. There are many innumerable resources for you to get God's word in your ears, in your heart, and in your mind. And when you put God's word before you, the promise is that stuff happens. Good stuff. Now, you might be thinking, Matt... Like, I want an encounter with the divine. Why should I have to do anything, let alone read or listen to things, in order to get an encounter with the divine? That sounds like homework. I don't know what to tell you. That's kind of how the world works. Like, if you want to get fit, you got to go to the gym. If you want to get fed, you got to belly up to the table. And here's how God works. He's so kind and compassionate, we believe that he uses words, like our words, to speak his words to us. And so if you want to hear from him, he's made it really easy. Like, open up the scriptures and listen. But it starts with that. Like, you actually have to read. The second thing is this. It's helpful if you read with the proper purpose in mind. And here's what I mean by that. The goal of reading the scriptures, the goal of Studying the Bible is not to know the Bible. I'll say that again. The goal of reading the Bible is not to know the Bible. The goal of reading the scriptures is to know God. That's the aim. It's not about knowledge. It's about an encounter with the divine. And that was the problem with Jesus' distractors, detractors rather, as they were approaching him. They, they wanted to just study the scriptures, and they thought biblical knowledge equaled salvation. Listen again to what Jesus says to them. John chapter 5, verse 39, he says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. If you just know the law, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible by heart, then you're set. That's not it. It is they that bear witness about me, Jesus says, and yet you refuse to come to me that you may have eternal life. The, the thing is, Shakespeare said in one of his plays, he says, the devil knows the scriptures by heart and uses them towards his ends. You can know the Bible and use it for all of your twisted schemes, but that doesn't mean you've, that doesn't mean you've embraced the purpose of knowing the scriptures, which is not to know it all. Nobody likes to know it all. The purpose of the scriptures is to encounter God, to see Jesus some people read the Bible to show that they're smarter than other people. Some people in, in, in the past, people with power, have read the Bible to try and control and harm other people. Some people read the Bible thinking it's a science textbook. Some people think it's an encyclopedia. It's like Google. You can look up anything. What should I have for lunch today? Hesitations chapter 2. It doesn't work like that. The goal of the scriptures is to give you Jesus. That's the goal. 
Which brings me to the third thing I want to share with you. If you're desiring to read the scriptures with an encounter with the divine in mind, read it with the right purpose to encounter God. More specifically, read it with an eye toward Jesus. Every single verse, every truth in its own way, in its own context, whispers his name. Every single one. And you might say, well, Matt, where do you get that idea that the whole thing actually points to Jesus? You know where I get that from? I get that from Jesus. That's how Jesus read the Bible. Jesus read the Old Testament as pointing clearly to him. Look at this moment where Jesus is at his hometown church. He's at his hometown synagogue in Nazareth. And he's, he's invited to do the daily reading, to come up in front of everybody else and read from the Torah, to read from the scroll of the day. And he gives the reading. And listen to what, listen to what happens. This is... This is incredible, the guts that Jesus has to do this. This is like a mic drop moment. Listen to this. Jesus unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, quote, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, And listen to this. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is saying, Everything I just read, it all points to me. Boom. That's how Jesus read the scriptures. And that's how we read the scriptures. The Christian scriptures, the Bible itself, tells a story. It's a narrative. It's the story of all things, including the time and the day in which you and I live. It's a story that goes from creation to fall to redemption or salvation to reclamation, which is where God is gathering up his people now under the banner of Jesus, to restoration. It starts in a garden where everything goes wrong and it ends in a city where everything is right. And where we find ourselves in this particular moment is in that era of that moment of reclamation where God is gathering up his people around the name and in the work of Jesus Christ and we're waiting for the restoration of all things. The scriptures tell that story over and over and over again. And at the center of that story is the person and work of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, and at the end, his return. He's at the center. And everything in the Old Testament points to him. And everything in the New Testament flows from him. But it's all about him. Now, you might be thinking, Matt, like everything in the Old Testament is ultimately about Jesus? Everything in the whole Bible is ultimately about Jesus. But let me just prove it to you. Adam, remember Adam and Eve? Like Adam is ultimately about Jesus. Adam was the unfaithful son of God placed in the garden and he gets it all wrong and everything gets screwed up as a result. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the faithful son of God who gets placed in the garden called earth and he gets everything right and everything is fixed through him. Moses is really about Jesus. Moses leads God's people to freedom out of captivity in Egypt. What does Jesus do? Jesus leads God's people, all of us, the whole of creation out of captivity to sin and death and into freedom. 
King David is about Jesus. What did David do? David's greatest moment, he slays Goliath, right? He kills the giant and then he becomes king of God's people. What did Jesus do? He killed the Goliath. He slayed the Goliath of sin and death and now he's king over all things. It all points to him. It's all about him. And so as you read the scriptures, as you listen to a sermon, as you do a daily devotion, whatever it looks like for you, the question you should be asking yourself is this, how does this point me to Jesus? How does this point me to Jesus? Read it, listen to it, study it with an eye for Christ. That's how we do it. And the next thing to keep in mind is this. As you read it, be mindful. Be mindful of the distinction between do and done. You know, most people approach the scriptures, really the the whole Christian life, being mindful of do's and don'ts. Like, Like, what are the rules? What are the things I can get away with and still be considered a good person? But that's not how we're to read the scriptures. And that's certainly not what the Christian life is about. Uh, There's a a distinction that's really important in understanding and being transformed by the scriptures and having an encounter with God. And it's this distinction between do and done. The, The scriptures are flowing with, filled with all of these commands, all of these expectations, both explicit and implicit, about who God wants us to be, how he wants us to live, what we're supposed to do. Those are all the do's. In our particular theological tradition, we call those the law. And they're meant to guide us and lead us, but also convict us and show us our need for Jesus. And then the other aspect of the scriptures is that there's this story within it of everything that's been done for us in Jesus Christ. He's been the faithful, obedient person that we can't be. He's he's died sacrificially, risen from our grave. He's done all of that for us. And so as you read the scriptures, what you do is you look at the things that give you a command, that ask something of you, that show you how things should be, how you should be. You look at that and you wrestle with it honestly and you let it kind of cut you open and convict you and show you to be a person in need of God's grace. And then what you do is you you find the trail back to Jesus where you discover that it's all been done in him and he is the salve for that wound. He is the healing agent for that holy hurt where you've been revealed to be a broken mess of a person. You look for all that's been done and you hear that it's been finished for you in Jesus Christ and you let it soothe that wound. And that's what we do with the scriptures. All the commands show us our need for Christ. And then we come to Christ and we see that every need is met. Let me show you how this works, okay? I'll just take two little sections of scripture. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous teaching. And you could make a case that in the Sermon on the Mount, it's just a bunch of do's. Jesus takes the expectation and he turns it up from a 10 to like a 12. Like the standard doesn't get lower with Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, it gets higher. And the reason is because God's standard is impossibly high. The expectation for us is holiness as we live within God's kingdom. But the the ultimate agenda Jesus has is to show you your need for him. Matthew 5, verses 44 through 45. Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Is that a do or a done? That's a do. That's some do-do is what that is. Because I don't do the thing we're supposed to do. That's some tough stuff, right? 
Let's be honest. You read that with an open mind and an honest heart. You read that, love your enemies. I don't love my enemies. I hate my enemies. I hate the people who hate me. And I kind of enjoy hating the people who hate me. And I'm not loving them behind their back. I am talking about them behind their back and I feel 100% justified in it. And I know you do too. I don't pray for people who persecute me. You're going to try and bring trouble into my life. I don't pray for you. I'm getting ready to fight you. I'm talking about you behind your back. I'm gathering up a squad and we're going to take you out. I mean, I'm not, but they are and they are carrying heat. I'm done with you. That's how I see my enemies. I'm broken like you're broken, okay? And yet here comes Jesus and he's like, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And if I read that with an honest heart, I am cut to the core. That is not what I want to do at all. I am a mess. And I'm a preacher. Then I read Luke 23. Listen to this. This is Jesus about to be crucified. When they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on Jesus' right and one on his left. And Jesus said, he's now being crucified. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Is this a do or a done? It's a done. It's, it's describing what Jesus Christ has done for us. And what is he doing in these words? He's being faithful to Matthew chapter 5 in the face of my faithlessness. I, I want to fight my enemies. I want to destroy my enemies. What is Jesus doing for the people who tack him to a cross unjustly, who are murdering him? They are murdering him, right? In, in that very moment, what does Jesus do? He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He prays for his enemies. For his persecutors. He's being faithful in the face of our faithlessness. He's being faithful for you, and then he's dying a sacrificial death for you and for me. So I'm broken open by the truth that I don't love my enemies the way I should, and then I see Jesus loving his enemies the way I should, and then some, and he's doing it all for me towards my account, and it's a gift for me, and that comforts me. It makes me say, thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness. Thank you for your death. Thank you for your life. The distinction between do and done is powerful. We read the commands in the scriptures to prepare us for and make us hungry for the person of Jesus that we encounter in the scriptures and all that he's done for us. The next thing to keep in mind is to read it by following a plan. I said at the beginning, one of the reasons people don't read the scriptures or, or listen to it or, or, or devote themselves to it really in any way, shape, or form is because they don't know where to begin. And for many people, just opening up the Bible and starting at Genesis is just not an option. And so they don't. What most people need is a, is a right-sized plan for how they can prioritize God's word in their life. And here's the plan that I would offer to you. It's it's a simple one, but I think it's an effective one. I would encourage you to live in the Gospels, to pray the Psalms, and to study the rest. Now, I realize that last piece is a big piece. There are 62 other books apart from the Gospels. But live in the Gospels. 
pray the Psalms, study the rest. When I say live in the Gospels, what I mean is this. Everything points to and flows from the person and work of Jesus. So if you're going to focus on anything, if you're going to become knowledgeable in anything, familiar with anything, if you want anything from the scriptures on your lips in the end when you're in the home and all you can remember are the things you memorized from church, let it be the person, the work, the teachings, the miracle, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. Hang out in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You won't regret it. And then as you pray, and yes, you should pray, see the Psalms, all 150 of them, as ready-made prayers for you. Throughout the history of the church, that's really what they've been used for. Some were songs, but really most, if not all, are really just prayers. Take those psalms and make those words your own. So when it talks about enemies, and they talk about enemies quite a bit, picture the people that you don't like when you say those words. Make it your prayer. When it talks about the pit, the psalms love to talk about the pit, like the pit you were in that God pulled you out of. Think of all the things in your life, and you've got things and I've got things that God has rescued you from. Think of that when it says that. When it talks about going to the house of the Lord, the Psalms love to talk about going to the house of the Lord. Think about coming to church, like those best experiences at church where you walked out with greater joy, confident that God loves you, feeling secure in your life as a member of God's family. Think about the joy of going to God's house and knowing that you're loved. When it talks about blessings, the Psalms love to talk about blessings. Think about the things in your life that you often overlook. Read through those Psalms, make those prayers your prayers. And then study the rest. Open up your Bible or download an app and get lost in the book of Romans. Get turned around and come find me. That's like my favorite thing in the world. Or read through the book of Job and be mesmerized that a man could go through so much pain yet still have faith in God. If you don't have the right resources to do this, and and many of us don't feel like we have the right resources, we want to help you. So we have a page on our website that you can go to stmarkhouston.org slash resources. You can also just follow the QR code there. I, I have suggested Bibles for, for you to procure, to have as your own, that I think are really readable, full of great notes, podcasts to listen to, daily devotions, tons of different things. We live in an era where there are more resources than ever before. So avail yourself to them. Avail yourself to them. Why? Because we believe that when we put God's word in front of us, stuff happens. And remember, the goal is not to know it all, because nobody likes a know-it-all. The goal is to encounter Jesus, to see Jesus. People aren't really reading the Bible anymore. And yet, the scriptures endure. God's word endures. And for those who will avail themselves of it, They are transformed. People have been trying to put the Bible away and make it old news since since it first started its circulation. One of my favorite stories from history is from the French Revolution, of all things. The famous philosopher Voltaire, he, as part of the French Revolution, he was trying to rid France of really all Christian influence. He hated the Christian faith. And one of the things he was famous for saying is that 100 years from now, 100 years from now, no one will know what a Bible is It will be in museums purely as a piece of curiosity. That's what he said. Showed him. What's really interesting about Voltaire is that shortly after he died, his house went up for auction, and it was purchased by this growing group that needed new office space, so they decided to use his home, and that group was the French Bible Society. 
the word of the Lord endures, and it endures because of you. I know you don't think that, but it's true. The, the word of the Lord endures, it remains. It remains being preached, it remains being printed, it remains being taught, it remains being spoken because the word of the Lord wants to get to you and to your heart and to your mind. It wants to comfort you and convict you and change you and proclaim the good news of Jesus to you. I know there are confusing parts. I know that it's really daunting, but in and with these words is God. And if you're here today and you want an encounter with the divine, I know you'll think you'll find a little more of God by walking in the woods or diving into your job or in the arms of a lover or being, being more mindful, whatever that means today. And at best, you'll get a glimpse. A glimpse. But if you want to know him and hear him and be transformed by him, you can read the words that he's given to you. And you will hear him say each and every time in many and various ways, there is much to be done. There is much to do. But all of it has been finished and done for you in Jesus Christ. And that message changes us each and every time we hear it. More next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you love us enough to speak to us. But we confess to you that, you know, the scriptures themselves, just as a book, it's a daunting thing. It, it can feel overwhelming. We can feel guilty that we don't know it or we don't read it. it, it we know that our relationship with your words is not what it should be or could be, Father. And so we ask that you would fix that. Help us to find a way to get the truth of who Jesus is more central in our lives, to give it greater priority, because we believe that, that the result of that will be people who are strengthened and grown and challenged and changed, and at the very, very least, but most importantly, more confident of your love for us and what you're doing in this world. Help us to value your words so as to be changed by them. We ask this. In Jesus' name, amen.